0: Katie, how's it going?
1: Jesse, I have a a little bit of a complaint to register.
0: Mm, Wednesday's complaint day. You can't wait till then?
1: Is this the place to do that? All right. So uh, last night I was on my phone. I was in my safe space, which is Instagram. Uh, This is where I like to look at pictures of small animals, typically. Also uh, Mormon mommy influencers. Although I did recently get a, a DM from somebody who told me that there's a trend. I have not seen this myself, but apparently there's a trend of Mormon-like fitness influencer women who are now microdosing testosterone to get stronger. It's two overlapping Sounds about right.
0: Everything, eventually, everything, (laughs) all the different trends will just be one thing.
1: Yeah, they'll start doing Tourette's and then showing their tics and all that stuff while microdosing, while growing mustaches, changing their pronouns. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so last night I was in my safe space. I was looking for the little cows and stuff that I like to scroll through. And uh, all of a sudden in my feed was a fucking picture of you.
0: Ew! What happened? I
1: know—that's exactly what I thought. So, someone I follow, Liz Wolf from Reason Magazine, she posted a bunch of pictures of you from some event. So, Jesse, what the fuck were you doing in my Instagram feed?
0: Uh, haunting you. Uh, Apparently, yeah, there was a Reason had an event where Nick Gillespie interviewed me at a very.
1: Did he wear the jacket? Yeah,
0: he's always just sort of he's i his age came up, and I was just shocked because I always forget that. He looks like he's thirty five. He's
1: somewhere between thirty eight and seventy.
0: Yeah, he's like almost sixty, which is crazy, and he looks so much better than me. Uh, but
1: try oh, not yeah. to let that get to no me. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe you should wear a leather jacket. That
0: that would probably fix everything. But yeah, he just uh, this is going to mm-hmm. go up on his podcast. But he interviewed me before a. Uh, Intimate audience in a very nice apartment in Soho. And uh, most importantly, there was avocado toast.
1: But but Nick's like, you just said he's like 50. He served avocado toast. That doesn't make any sense.
0: He's almost 60. Well, no, the the um, wealthy gentleman who was our host. Was a millennial. It's sort of obnoxious that I said a wealthy gentleman. But it was like a big Soho apartment. I don't know. Maybe he's poor and just borrowed the apartment. But it was a very nice apartment. And there was very good. It was a catered affair. And it was a really good time. And some of my friends came and my brother came. And it was, it was good.
1: Uh, well, next time I would appreciate at least a trigger warning, Liz, before you're going to put Jesse into my Instagram feed. M-
0: multiple people asked me if you were coming, which is the same thing that <laughs> happened at the Fire Gala a few weeks ago. Guys, and it's we don't first of all like, together.
1: We're not in the no. same – we're not even friends.
0: But it's like why – it's like if your friend shows up at a party, you're like, oh, cool, good to see you. Is your other friend here? Like, <laughs> your, it's mean. And also people here? don't – don't people know you at all? That you don't you don't do things.
1: I do know I do lots of things. I just don't do things in Soho apartments Alone. where there's avocado toast. I yesterday I went to a glass beach. Do you know what that is?
0: A glass. Oh wait, is that one of those beaches where like there's like little beads of glass, basically?
1: Yeah, it's like when a beach is near a uh, uh like a, a former dump, a, for- <laughs> a former. Community dump and the glass from from like old Zima bottles gradually gets worn down into little beads. So I, I do stuff, just for the record, I do do stuff.
0: Well, we both have had very exciting weeks, but uh, now we're here. Katie, what is the name of this? I got nothing. Podcast? Come up with something quick on the spot. What is the name of this podcast?
1: <laughs> this is blocked and reported. And I'm Katie Herzog.
0: And I'm Jesse Single. I think we'd gone, what episode number are we on? I think we'd gone. No idea. B- 170-ish in a row with me coming up with something there, and I just dropped the ball. So start the streak back at zero. What are we going to talk about today, Katie?
1: Well, Jesse, later in the show, I'm going to be telling you about the barrister, Jolin, Joylin Jolioff, Mongum.
0: Well, you've clearly prepped for this. You've, <laughs> totally, you've nailed <laughs> Is this a he or a she?
1: We'll call him Joe. It's a he. Uh,
0: but first, we're going to talk about the uh, this subway chokehold incident that has been rocking New York and the media world.
1: But first, before that, uh, Jesse, also, while I was on my safe space Instagram the other day, I saw a post about one of our former guests, uh, Clementine Morgan. You remember Clementine? I do. Okay. So Clementine is the host of a podcast called Fucking Canceled. She was on our show, I think, I think sometime last year. Uh, she's a leftist. She's a dirty communist, a Maoist, a Stalinist, uh, who's also very anti-cancel culture. And she's got a very interesting show. She's, she's also got a huge following on Instagram. She has like over 100,000 followers. And she does this sort of anti-cancel culture content from a leftist perspective. So she and her partner, Jay, just did a big tour of the US. They did shows all over the country. And they were in Portland. And she posted on Instagram that they parked a couple blocks from the venue just to sort of be safe. That because they're yeah probably they're like loved by some but hated by very many other people because their whole thing is anti cancel culture from like an anti serial point of view. So it's Portland. Get back to their car, and someone has slashed their tires and shit all over the windshield.
0: That sounds about right. Unfortunately, it's Portland, yeah. so it's like there are a lot of suspects. Yeah, and I don't even know if that has anything to do with exactly them.
1: It could be absolutely like random, just like a Wednesday night in Portland, or it could be somebody was actually targeting them with, with a big old butt full of shit.
0: God, that's awful. I'm sorry that to, to deal with that either way, but um, yeah. Speaking of urban decline, good segue, right? Yeah, that's great. So on Monday, uh, on the F train in New York, a guy named Daniel Penny killed a guy named Jordan Neely in part because there's video of it. It's the biggest story in New York right now and therefore one of the bigger stories in the country. Um, The video was taken by a witness named Juan Alberto Vasquez who was on the train. It went viral. Katie, why don't you click on that link and describe the video?
1: Okay, so there is a man on the ground of the subway car and there are what looks like two people holding him down like there's one guy a white guy who's got him in a chokehold there's a black guy who's standing above him also looks like he's restraining him and then the man himself who's being restrained is not moving
0: yeah um so the the guy on the ground uh is jordan neely he subsequently died he's had a he had a very tough life he was at one point a michael jackson impersonator but um In news reports, his dad said that his mom was murdered by her boyfriend in 2007 when he was just 14, and then he just sort of really lost it. This is from the New York Daily News, quote, after her death, uh, his mental health declined and he refused to take his prescribed medications. His autism made it difficult for him to find steady work after he dropped out of high school. So his history since then has been one of a lot of mental health problems and, uh, frankly, a lot of crime. Like what kind of crimes? Some of it was petty larceny and jumping the turnstiles in, in the New York subways and stuff like that. Um, But at times, he could also be a very dangerous guy. Here's CNN, quote, Neely was homeless, according to a source familiar with his case. He had a history of encounters with the NYPD, a law enforcement source told CNN's John Miller, including 42 arrests on charges, including petite larceny, jumping subway turnstiles, theft, and three unprovoked assaults on women in the subway between 2019 and 2021. And here's the New York Daily News with some rather uh, dark details. Neely was arrested 42 times across the last decade with his most recent bust in November 2021 for slugging a 67-year-old female stranger in the face as she exited a subway station in the East Village, cops said. The senior citizen suffered a broken nose and fractured orbital bone when she was knocked to the sidewalk, along with swelling and, quote, substantial, end quote, head pain after hitting the ground. Neely eventually pleaded to felony assault and received 15 months in an alternative to incarceration program that, if completed, would have allowed him to plead to misdemeanor assault and get a conditional discharge. But a warrant was issued for his arrest on February 23rd when he skipped a court compliance court date where a judge was to be updated on whether he was meeting all the requirements of the program. On June 27th, 2019, Neely was arrested for punching a 64-year-old man in the face during a fight in a Greenwich Village subway station, cop said, and he was busted in August 2015 for attempted kidnapping after he was seen dragging a 7-year-old girl down an Inwood street. He pled guilty to endangering the welfare of a child and was sentenced to four months in jail. So... It goes without saying that if you have a violent past that doesn't give anyone the right to assault you, let alone kill you in a chokehold, this isn't the Wild West. But I I do think Neely's past matters here because the entire dispute about this, um, which has quickly and somewhat remarkably turned into a racial thing, has to do with the question of what happened before Vasquez turned on his phone's camera.
1: Okay, so we don't know what what happened to lead up to this altercation, right? What are the, what are the theories or has Vasquez told us what the theory, what happened?
0: Yeah. I mean, there were eyewitnesses and they tell a pretty consistent story. It appears that Neely Jordan Neely was acting in a very threatening manner. The New York daily news relying on a police source, said his behavior had attracted multiple nine one one calls. calls, uh, quote, callers said Neely was making threats and quote, unquote, harassing people. The source said one caller incorrectly said Neely had a knife or a gun. Another said he was attacking people uh, in quotes. So just to put this in context, like my experience has been that New Yorkers will put up with a lot of shit on the street or the subway. It's not uncommon. And it seems to be getting more uncommon to have unwell people wandering the subway or passed out on the subway. Um, I wasn't on the subway car, obviously, but like stuff has to get pretty weird for people to call 911. So I think this suggests that people found nearly legitimately threatening. He was also saying some scary stuff, including that he didn't care about going back to jail forever and that he was going to attack passengers. Um, Apparently, right before the chokehold, Neely yelled that he was, quote, fed up and hungry, end quote, and, quote, tired of having nothing, end quote. He took off his coat and threw it hard at the floor and said he was ready to go to jail and get a life sentence. Uh, according to Vasquez, he also said, I'll hurt anyone on this train.
1: Okay, if I were on this train and somebody starts exhibiting this erratic behavior, aggressive behavior, and says at one at one point, I read that at one point he says something like, I, like, I'm going to die today. I might think that he's about to pull out a gun and start shooting people.
0: Yeah. So we know at least one person called 911 uh, or this was reported by the New York Daily News. One person reported to one he had a gun or a knife, which he didn't. Uh, if you say, I don't care about getting a life sentence, I don't know how it could be that that's a, you're threatening to kill somebody. That's what gets you a life sentence. So as a result of this, this Marine, Daniel Penny, puts him in a chokehold. Uh, And as you said in the video, you can see other passengers on the train helping to subdue him. I hate that we have to say this, but one of the passengers helping to subdue him is black. Daniel Penny is white, 24-year-old former Marine from Queens. So apparently they were just trying to keep him under control until the police could get there. But something went horribly wrong, and now he's dead, and people are protesting.
1: Is there any indication that he attacked Daniel Penny? Or did Daniel Penny walk up to him and and put him in a chokehold? Do we know what happened to like lead up to the physical confrontation?
0: I believe I have not read anything to suggest that Neely started the physical altercation with Penny. My read is that Penny thought he was defending himself and the other passengers from this violent guy who was threatening people.
1: Okay. And so what are people protesting? Like this isn't a cop, right? Like- it's yeah. an individual, it's one individual or actually not one, more than one individual. What are they what, what are they protesting?
0: I mean, so people were initially mad that Penny was questioned but not arrested. Uh The New York Times has a pretty good explainer about that. It basically comes down to the police needing time to investigate and they just didn't view um Penny as a flight risk and he does he hasn't fled. Um of course, it was pointed out that uh, that Penny is white and people said if he hadn't been white, the cops would have arrested him, which like I don't know. I feel like it's sort of a weird argument in this context because Jordan Neely had committed multiple brutal assaults and an attempted kidnapping of a child, and he was walking around free. So it doesn't appear that the NY – that the New York City justice system always cracks down on black people who commit crimes. I I don't know. It's just like – it's – Anyone can point to anything and say if the races were different, that would have gone differently. But that doesn't mean it's true.
1: Yeah. I mean, if this were a, let's say a black on black killing, my guess is that fewer people are going to care. If it's white on white, fewer people are going to care. Asian on Asian. Well, that that probably wouldn't happen. <laughs> you know, if it, were, if it were a black guy killing a white guy, people would care, but it would be a different group of people.
0: Yeah. I mean- people seem to be trying to slot this into George Floyd. Well, I mean, Eric Garner's the closer comparison because he was choked to death by a cop on Staten Island, but it's more, um, they're trying to slot. I I mean, I've seen people call this a lynching. Yeah, man. I don't know. It's like, um, a lot of activists and journalists just, slotted this into like a familiar script. And now Neely has become a martyr who represents how cruel we are to homeless people or black people or black homeless people. Uh, like, how would you like me to uh, read some Nicole Hannah Jones tweets? Would you like that? Could I interest you in that? If you must. <laughs> here's what, here's what she tweeted not long after this all broke. It's clear how much we revile poor people, particularly poor black people, that so many are framing this as a story about homelessness and not a vigilante killing someone whose behavior he found distasteful. Distasteful. Oh my god. In other words. <laughs> no, Katie, Katie, let me finish. Who's behavior, Who's <laughs> Distasteful? It was icky. He didn't use the raw, right, the right fork. <laughs> in in other word, in other words, strangling is a rational response to homelessness. I'm having trouble reading this without commenting. I'm gonna try my best, okay? In other words, strangling is a rational response to homelessness. I've watched several news stories now that are covering this as a story bringing attention to the plight of homelessness, as if this is not about a man strangling another to death because he didn't like how he was behaving. Homelessness is a problem, but it didn't cause this. If Jordan Neely were not homeless, mentally ill, and black, and another passenger had strangled him to death on the train, the coverage would look very different. We are failing here. It's fascinating how many of the same people who spent the last few weeks bemoaning a society where people get killed for knocking on the wrong door and other mundane acts find it somewhat acceptable to die for being mentally ill and yelling at people. Um... I'm gonna ask, so I'm going to ask you to respond to that, Katie. But first, I know we're beating a dead horse here, but the amount of misinformation on progressive Twitter when anything involving race comes up is just off the charts. It's insane. So I'll, just one example. Someone responded to Nicole Hannah-Jones by pointing out Neely had been arrested dozens of times. Here's the response to that. What was he arrested for? Subsistence crimes, loitering, panhandling, <laughs> trespassing, open containers.
1: Kidnapping Is a subsistence crime, Jesse. How are you gonna feed? How are you gonna eat if you can't feed on those little seven-year-old baby bones?
0: I I won't read the rest of it, but just the amount of as soon as something happens, Twitter is like weighed down by all the bullshit that is produced. But but what do you think of Nicole Hannah Jones' claim that to read that one more time about a vigilante killing someone whose behavior he found distasteful?
1: Yeah, I mean so I first learned about this through Twitter and so because I follow people like Hannah Nicole Jones. Did I do it right? No, no I didn't. Fuck. Nicole Hannah Nicole Jones. Nicole
0: Hannah Jones. This is insane. It's, it's
1: oh, Look, I words. am dyslexic in this one very, very specific way. Because I follow people like her, I... W- my first – before I did any research into this, I really – like I was led to believe that that this – you know, a vigilante was going out to like just attack random homeless people who I, – I saw people say that, you know, he was killed for being hungry.
0: Well, it's like Kyle Rittenhouse where he just mowed down activists for no reason at all. It's the same
1: thing. Right. Like it doesn't seem to describe what the witnesses say were happening about this guy. And besides the witness accounts and the police record – Conservatives, uh, Andy Ngo in particular, found a, a Reddit post from nine years ago where someone was talking about the Michael Jackson impersonator who hangs out on the – what what subway line is it? F-Train?
0: I think it's the F-Train, yeah.
1: You know, and said like this guy, he used to be like a busker. He was great. He provided entertainment and he's gone fucking crazy and he's dangerous and, and everybody needs to stay away from this guy. And there were lots of accounts like this. Like this guy was clearly acting in very antisocial ways. And so – this idea that some white guy, clearly a racist, and, and a Marine too, so also a colonizer probably, just killed somebody because he didn't like the way he was because he was like breaking some sort of decorum, just seems doesn't seem to line up with the facts. I mean that said, do I think that the best response in a situation like this is for is for a bystander to attack somebody? No. No, and and I've seen people who are who do martial arts weigh in on this, yeah. and there are ways to do a chokehold safely that doesn't fucking murder somebody.
0: I don't think he was try- – I think he was trying to restrain him right. until – And he fucked it up. The cops arrived, and he fucked it up. I think if he thought he was protecting the passengers or himself and something went horribly wrong physically, because any – like, fighting is not – I mean, I've never been in a fight as an adult, but it's not like graceful. It's not like a Kung Fu. Mo- like, it doesn't take a lot for something to go horribly wrong when people fight. And if one of them's a right. Marine,
1: you can kill somebody with a yeah. punch.
0: Um, so I think we didn't know. We need to know like exactly what happened. But watching the video, I think he was trying to restrain him. And yes, yeah, something went
1: horribly wrong. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he this chokehold was 15 minutes long.
0: I, I'm seeing conflicting reporting on that. Like some people say three minutes, some say fifteen minutes. Um I really don't know. And and the witnesses said he was conscious and struggling like until the end. I guess he lost consciousness then. So I don't I don't know exactly, but um
1: And that's pretty interesting because it has just become fifteen minutes and like in the game of telephone.
0: Several yeah, New York Times today based or oh, sorry, two days ago based on the um Coroner's report, uh, several minutes. So, and then he went limp. So it's a, it's horrible, dude. This guy had a horrible life. He was very mentally ill. He needed help he didn't get, and he victimized a lot of other people. And it's just a disaster. But this need to slot it into some like simple story about how awful America is. Katie, do you want to read the, uh, Roxanne Gay headline I sent you?
1: Yeah, this is in the New York Times Making people uncomfortable can now get you killed. Oh my God. This is like the, it's, these are also yeah. a lot of these people are the same people who argue things like words or violence. Yeah. How can you, words how can violence. both of these things be true?
0: I don't know, man. Gay's piece is really bizarre because she tries to paint a picture of, you know, as the headline implies, how you can get killed for basically any reason in the US, which is, you know, it's an overstatement, but there's a kernel of truth there given our gun violence problem. And Gay mentions these awful recent incidents where folks. Get murdered for ringing the wrong doorbell, getting in the wrong car. But then she loops in Jordan Neely's killing with those incidents. Katie, you're an analogy expert. Why is that a bad analogy? They're not the
1: same thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good job. Thank you. Nailed it. No, it's just, it's, it's, look, it's, it's awful. No, I, any of us would push a button to make Jordan Neely come back to life. But this isn't like getting into a wrong car and getting shot. This started because a man was loudly threatening people on the subway. And I think some of the riders interpreted it as he was going to kill somebody. And a guy did what he probably shouldn't have done and directly intervened. But I, I just, I don't, I actually don't see malice in the initial act of trying to subdue him. I, I think there's questions to be asked about like why he did it that long. and, Usually on the New York subway, once in a while you get someone who seems like a little too crazy and you go to the next subway car. I obviously wish this Penny guy had done that, but I, I – it's just these analogies are so bad and the writing is just – here's how here's how Gade describes the incident. Uh, and sometimes there is no gun. On Monday, Jordan Neely, a Michael Jackson impersonator experiencing homelessness – was yelling and, according to some subway riders, acting aggressively on an F-train in New York City. I don't have food. I don't have a drink. I'm fed up, Mr. Neely cried out. I don't mind going to jail and getting life in prison. I'm ready to die. Was he making people uncomfortable? I'm sure he was. But his were the words of a man in pain. He did not physically harm anyone, and the consequences for causing discomfort isn't death, unless, of course, it is. A former Marine held Mr. Neely in a chokehold for several minutes, killing the man. News reports keep saying Mr. Neely died, which is a passive thing. We die of old age, we die in a car accident, we die from disease. When someone holds us in a chokehold for several minutes, something far worse has occurred. Dot 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 each of these innocent people who lost their lives was in the wrong place at the wrong time. In most cases, armed assailants deputized themselves to stand their ground or enforce justice for a petty crime. Some claimed self-defense, said they were afraid, though some of their victims were unarmed women and children. We have to ask the uncomfortable questions. Why are men so afraid? Why are they so fragile that they shoot or harm first and ask questions later? Why do they believe death or injury is an appropriate response to human fallibility? Public life shared with terrified and or entitled and or angry and or disaffected men is untenable. Uh, Katie, you're an expert on honest opinion <laughs> writing. Is this honest opinion writing?
1: She's just living in a different reality than we are, Jesse. Lived experience uh, takes you to a different, different conclusion, I suppose. And one thing I was struck by is how much outsized attention it seems like this particular event has gotten. And this is something that I I hate to give credit where it's due, but in this case, the credit goes to uh, Matt Walsh.
0: The bad Matt, okay.
1: Subway killings are rare, but they happen every year. Matt, I think the statistic that he cited on Twitter said that something like 11 people were killed last year. I looked it up today. 27 people were killed on the subway between March 2020 and now, 27 people, plus there was that shooting, I think, last year where 10 people were shot and somehow none of them died. I couldn't tell you a single one of their names. Could you? No. So why do you think this one has become the story du jour?
0: Because, I mean, I guess because the Marine was white, I really think that's it. I, I mean, and because there's video of it. There's viral video.
1: I'm sure there's video of a ton of these incidents. There's every Everybody's got a studio in their camera. I mean a studio, a studio in their pocket. This
0: popped into my feed. There was this popped in my feed in in um, March. I thought it was more recent. I checked. It was March, but there was this awful scene of um, one guy shooting another guy in St. Louis, just on the street, broad daylight murder. I had never heard about that until now. And yeah, people get killed every day. I re- this is what worries me because I, I think people understand that if you if the roles were reversed, everyone would be reacting differently. So if a a troubled marine with PTSD is ranting on the subway threatening people and a black homeless guy kills him. Um conservatives, including Matt Walsh, will be would be calling for the uh black homeless guy to be executed for murder. Like everyone without is, a trial. Without a try, right, without a trial. It, everyone. It, it's just tribal stuff. And and the journalism, it dude, there's this um The Guardian. Jordan Neely, man killed by rider's chokehold, was talented dancer. I it it includes quotes about how like, you know, friends of his saying, why do people think he was violent? That's not that's not who he was. It was it was who he was. He assaulted a lot of people. This is just like absolute propaganda. Uh I don't know, man. I it's it's bizarre.
1: And you know that if the if the roles had been different, if the races had been different, the coverage would be different as well. And that is so weird and distressing and it shouldn't bizarre. be like that. And also just watch this watching this unfold in twitter and seeing people like i know where almost everybody's going to stand on this issue based on their yeah. political position, their tribal allegiances. This becomes just one more thing for us to fight over. And some and like this happens every time there's a shooting. It happens anytime there's some sort of big national tragedy. And we have the same yeah. conversation over and over again on this podcast. And i wish people would just stop treating these events like this like they're team sports because they're not team sports and like there are there are conversations to be had here about mental health about deinstitutionalization about like what you are supposed to do when somebody who is a serial offender who is engaging in in antisocial acts is left on the street to suffer and die
0: yeah i'd rather have that conversation because the way i interpret this is um We've talked about the guy who killed a dog in Prospect Park, a w- guy who wanders around mentally ill, needs help, he's not getting, I mm-hmm. th- believe he's still out there. There's widespread belief among progressives that you're not supposed to involve the police in situations like that. Like, literally, a city, a city councilwoman's spokesperson right. said that um, in that case. But uh, there seems to be an uptick in like menacing people wandering around the parts of New York I'm familiar with and... If you have these repeated interactions over and over and over, the one thousandth or two thousandth or five thousandth time, a deranged person threatens people, something bad will happen. Most likely, well, I was going to say most likely to the mentally ill person because they're often victimized. But in this case, how many like old ladies had to be violently assaulted? Like this, I don't know. I I, I feel very strongly about like criminal justice reform when it comes to nonviolent people, but. If you let people wander around and menace others and they're out of control, something like this will happen eventually. It will eventually happen. And we saw the results of that. And I I honestly feel bad for everyone involved. Most of all, the dead guy, of course. It's a tragedy. But to to just be like, oh, well, people shouldn't react to being uncomfortable. Like – no, it wasn't. They thought they were uncomfortable. They were being threatened. Like you can't tell someone trapped in a subway car they're not allowed to feel threatened when a guy is talking about murdering people. It's insane.
1: Yeah. Do you have any insight into how other countries treat this degree of of violent mental illness? No.
0: I mean, we're just such a violent country by developed world standards. I, I don't honestly don't know about how. Other countries handle it. I think like deinstitutionalization was a pretty big part of it, but it's just not history I'm not familiar with. It's pretty, it's all very sad.
1: There's a, so there's a new book out. This is by a guy named Jonathan Rosen. Um, have you heard about this? The book's called The Best Minds. It was about this guy, Michael Lauder, who was, it was this, it was the author's best friend and he wrote this memoir. So they grew up in these this sort of affluent, affluent upbringing. Both went to Yale both very talented. This one, my, his friend Michael Lauder, he was seen as a genius. He went to law school at Yale. And he was also schizophrenic. And he became – do you know what I'm talking about? Does this ring any bells to you?
0: Yeah. Well, I think there was like an excerpt in The Atlantic. I haven't read it. But yeah. it, like, it sounds very sad.
1: Yeah. And so Michael Lauder. So he uh, – he was he was seen as this he did a lot of writing and, and speaking about his schizophrenia diagnosis and he was seen as this sort of success story because he was medicated, he had jobs, Hollywood was interested in his stories, he was brilliant. And then in nineteen ninety eight he murdered his pregnant girlfriend. <sighs> And he's been in an institution ever since. And so this guy's book is about this story, but it's also about how we got here, got to the point where we are today. There's the deinstitutionalization movement in the 20th century after all of these abuse scandals and and so mental hospitals closed. And there was this idea that people should be cared for within their communities, but that never really worked here. And this also coincided with the development of antipsychotics in the 1950s and 60s. But clearly letting people out of the loony bin and expecting their communities to take care of them uh, hasn't actually worked. And now we live in a time where there's fentanyl everywhere, which just makes things so much worse. It's yeah. just – God, there's just – there has to be some sort of answer here, but I don't know what it is.
0: For what it's worth, I, I missed this, but earlier today the Daily Mail posted um, an article that apparently there's more video where – It shows the chokehold continuing for 45 seconds after he went limp. And he and at least one bystander said, you're going to kill him. So there was there were some people reacting at the time to the chokehold continuing for 45 seconds, which obviously makes it look worse and more reckless.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there'll be an investigation and we'll find out probably what actually happened uh, in time. This guy might end up spending some time in prison himself. Although, you know, what would the like defund the police empty the prisons people say about him? about the marine who killed this guy.
0: I mean they they're often full of shit so they're going to call for him to go to the prisons they don't think should exist. I mean whatever. I'm overgeneralizing, but it's there's some pretty people have some pretty incoherent views on uh these issues.
1: Yeah, you know, and the other aspect of this is the lack of policing on the subway. Like you ride the subway a lot, right? Are there cops around?
0: I'm not sure I'd say there's a lack of policing. You see cops sometimes. It's like they just can't cover everything because it's such a big subway system. And Eric Adams is trying to be more aggressive about this quality of life stuff. You know, he's our former cop mayor who beat out Mm -hmm. um, uh, out more progressive candidates because, get this, you're not going to believe this, there's outer borough residents of New York who are not white and who actually don't like crime and voted because they want crime to be lower. Isn't that weird?
1: Or... They are black supremacists, and they just saw the black guy and voted
0: mm. for him. <laughs> More likely. I, yeah, I don't know if I would pin this on a lack of cops. You do – you know, it varies. Sometimes you see cops. Sometimes you don't. So I don't know if that's a factor.
1: Okay. I was thinking about that because I was wondering what the defund police contingent – what they would see as like the appropriate response to antisocial behavior about uh, like this. I think I actually thought of maybe a solution that would please everybody – You put a social worker on every car, but the social worker has a taser. You put a social
0: worker with an Mm AR-15 on every street corner. Yes. Rival gangs of social workers vying for control of the streets very violently.
1: Vying to control the do-gooder industrial complex.
0: All right. uh, Sad, sad story. I'm sure we'll know more soon. Let's move on to housekeeping. Let's do it. Katie, take it away. Do it. Do the whole thing right now. Or else? No,
1: I think you should do it this
0: week. podcast at gmail.com. That's our email address, right? Yes. Blockchainreported.reddit.com. That's our Reddit, right? Subreddit? Yes. Barpodmerch.com. Merch? True. And if you go to BlocktonReported.org, you can become a premium subscriber for a very reasonable monthly fee, or you can pay annually. Three extra episodes of this podcast every month. Access to a weekly comments thread that we get like over a thousand comments a lot of the time, don't we? It's insane. It's fucking Insane.
1: Yes, our subscribers, our primos, as we call them, are the reason that we can keep doing this. They are the reason that Jesse isn't homeless. They're the reason that I don't have to go get a job at Whole Foods, which is really good because I'm no longer eligible for a rehire after that one incident in the bathroom. So, thank you guys so much. We literally could not do this without you.
0: I can't tell if you're joking. It would not. It would not surprise me if you're not joking and something happened with you in a Whole Foods bathroom you work at.
1: Okay, it didn't happen in a bathroom, but I am. Um, you know, I don't know how long their records last, but let's say it was a conscious uncoupling. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't their fault. It was a conscious uncoupling.
0: So it was your fault, you're saying.
1: But regardless, thanks thanks to all of our primos, we literally could not do this without you. And we wouldn't because we wouldn't do this for free. I'm not going to talk to Jesse for free.
0: I would. I would do it for free. I like hanging out with you. Every
1: week? Seven times a month?
0: Yeah. I think we should do more every day. Mm-hmm,
1: no. And uh, one last note. I am going to be doing an event with FIRE. And a free speech panel. Uh, fire?
0: Like you're going to light something on fire? Oh, the, the organization. I'm
1: going to be burning some books. Nice. This is at the University of Washington, May 12th, 7 p.m., free and open to the public. Uh, I will put a link in the show notes.
0: I won't be there. Sorry, everyone.
1: You sure? You don't want to come? You're not going to fly in for this? Will they fly
0: me out? For, for my panel? Will they fly me out, I will. We'll fire.
1: Yes, but it's going to be in steerage. You're going to have to be in the cargo hold with the dogs. <laughs>
0: steerage of a, uh A320. Uh, all right, Katie, I've been talking too much. I want you to tell me a story now about something crazy going on in Britain.
1: All right, Jesse, have you ever heard the name Julian Mongum? Mongum. Julian Julian Mongum.
0: I have, but I don't. It's not a good sign you can't pronounce it, but yes, I've seen this name on the Twitter, but I don't really remember the details.
1: Okay, so this is a name, yes. This has been floating around uh, a corner of Twitter where I tend to lurk for, for quite some time, and this week I finally decided to investigate it. First, we need to talk about the name itself. His name is spelled J-O-L-Y-O-N. It looks to me like it should be pronounced- Jollyon. Lion. It is actually pronounced- Jollyon. Jolion, Like Julian, but with a Joe. Jolion. You want to practice it a few times? Julian. Julian? Julian. 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 Okay. We're just going to call him Joe. So Joe makes regular appearances on Turf Island Twitter, which is like this ecosystem populated by British gender-critical feminist named Helen. Not that all Helens share the same beliefs. They don't. But they're part of this ecosystem that I enjoy, uh, enjoy observing from an ocean away, like a Twitter anthropologist. And so Julian is an antagonist of the system. And a few weeks ago, he briefly became the main c- character after he got in a spat with fellow Joe, J.K. Rowling. We're going to get to that shortly. But it turns out that Julian himself is a fascinating character and one I think more Americans need to know about. So he's going to be the subject of this next segment. You ready?
0: Awesome. Yes. Lay it on me. Okay.
1: Assigned Julian, Toby, Dennis Magam at birth. Jesse, did you know... It's actually British law that all natural-born citizens must have two middle names.
0: <laughs> Sounds about right.
1: Yeah, it's like an anti-Catholic thing.
0: What? What is it? You have made <laughs> all these comments about Catholics and middle names that are all inaccurate. It's a weird. <laughs> is, is this the latest group you're going to be bigoted against?
1: <laughs> no, i Look, I'm. I'm. I'm part Catholic. I was born from Catholic people, from a Catholic lineage. I do have a have a middle name though. That's good. I came from bad Catholics. Okay. Julian Toby Dennis Mogam. He was born in 1971. His biological father. He's a novelist named David Benedictus, who is apparently somewhat notable, or at least notable enough to have a Wikipedia page. Uh, he was also part of a group portrait at the National Gallery, so sort of sort of important. He wrote one of the Winnie the Pooh books. I did not realize this, but there were after A A, a. a. Milne died, there were other Winnie the Pooh books, and Joe's father wrote one of them. He actually didn't know who his dad was until he was a teenager, and he was raised by his mom and his stepfather, mostly in New Zealand. He moved back to England as a teenager. And then he later studied law. So during this period, he worked for a temp agency. And at one point, the agency sent him out for a job doing secretarial work. But maybe the company was also confused by his name, because when he got there and they realized he was a AMAB, not an AFAB, they refused to give him the job because secretarial work is, that's AFAB's work, right?
0: Right. Exactly.
1: So he ended up suing for sex discrimination and he won, which is what perhaps inspired his later fervor for lawsuits. Also, you would think that after that, he would know what a woman is, but apparently not. So he became a barrister, which is like a lawyer, but different. A barrister represents clients in court. So basically what we would call trial lawyers, this is opposed to solicitors. They do legal work outside the court. So on the totem pole... Barristers are higher than solicitors, but both are under podcasters. Of course. Joe's specialty is tax law, so basically helping rich people pay less in taxes. And he was apparently very good at this, or at least good enough to make a fuck ton of money based on the appearance of a house that he sold pretty recently. I have a photo of this here. Jesse, please describe this.
0: Oh, damn. It's like a very modern-looking, blocky, glassy house, and there's a windmill
1: in the background? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, he lives in like a converted windmill. And he sold this a few years ago. The list price was £3 million. That seems like a steal for a windmill. I paid double that for mine. And mine came with a used Tesla. That's a nice house. Okay, So for most of his career, Joe was a tax lawyer. Uh, He was ranking in. But he wasn't particularly well-known to the general public. But he started to get pretty big on Twitter. And Twitter fame, it's a particular kind of fame. There are a lot of Twitter famous people that – would otherwise be totally unknown. Like there's all the hashtag resistance grifters like Brooklyn Dad, Mueller She Wrote. And then there's folks like Eliza Blue, Yasher Ali, Alejandra Caraballo, Aaron Rupar, all of whom we've talked about on the show, Katie Herzog, another person no one would have heard of if not for Twitter. So it's kind of like, it's kind of a weird kind of fame. And unlike TikTok fame or Instagram fame, you can't directly monetize it. So you can indirectly by, like, having a podcast, but no one is selling SpawnCon on Twitter. So I maintain that it's better to be TikTok famous or Instagram famous than – or even, like, grinder famous than Twitter famous. That's the best kind. Anyway. So – and actually, especially – this is especially true after Elon took our blue checks away and now we can't even get priority service from uh, Delta. OK. So Joe is one of these guys. And he's known for being combative as hell, which is a polite way of saying that he's an arsehole. And he's the kind of arsehole who maintains an air of moral superiority. So you know the type – Take David Roberts, Adam Davidson, Michael Hobbs. Give them a British accent in a windmill. Ugh, okay. <laughs>
0: this is awful. I don't like this so far.
1: You've got Joe Magam. He's pompous. So here are some of his, his gems. This tweet is from 2019. Jesse, I'm going to ask you to read this in an Oxbridge accent. Can you do that?
0: My Sunday morning in a mountain refugio in Spain so far. I can't do accents. Washing my socks by hand with bath soap. Picking up scratchy coverage of the rugby. Coordinating a response to the prime minister's silliness. Advising on the Lib Dem federal constitution. Yours?
1: A refugio? I'm not sure that's even a word in Spanish. I did look it up. It is, however, a town in Texas.
0: Refugio. Okay,
1: this is another one from 2020. Uh, Please channel your inner monarch and read this for me, Jesse.
0: I'm sitting writing under an apricot tree in Cyprus. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) And every welcome breeze brings a small series of plop as the ripe fruit falls, sometimes through the rosemary bush, to the ground. They taste the best. Those that pick up the scent as they fall. This guy loves the sound uh, the smell of his own farts
1: (laughs) he does the sound of his own words too. the sound of his own tweets so you can see why the adjective most commonly used to describe him is probably pompous right Yes. and you combine that with the fact that he is absolutely sure that he has some sort of moral authority while being the kind of lawyer whose job is to shield rich people from taxes and you can kind of see why people hate this guy i already do so yeah so he's been on twitter since 2011 but it was really the 2016 brexit referendum that launched him as a public figure He was a Remainer. Surprise, surprise. And after the UK voted to leave the EU, Joe was one of a large number of Brits who tried to will this away. They wanted a do-over. And to be fair, the same thing happened after Trump's election. Like, do you remember... Jill Stein trying to get a recount, and people thought this was actually going to fix everything. Do you remember that?
0: I remember very badly wanting it to be true that he hadn't been really elected. Mm -hmm. So I could understand the impulse. But yeah, it's usually better to face reality.
1: I mean, and the same thing happened after the Biden election, too. Like, do you remember January 6th? A bunch of NASCAR fans stormed the Capitol. Like, people (laughs) really just – they want to believe, right? From what I can tell, Joe was—he was never a litigant in any of these legal cases, but he was a fundraiser and and a supporter for some of the litigants who tried to stop Brexit from happening, including, for instance, some British expats who were losing their EU citizenship. I'm not going to lie. I tried to figure out exactly what happened in some of these cases, and it's a combination of both British and legalese, two languages I obviously don't speak. And I got so confused, I had to lie down with teabags over my eyes.
0: Wait, you had to have someone teabag your eyes? Oh,
1: man, I really walked into that one, didn't I? The only balls allowed in this house belong to a fuzzy poodle, so yes, Yes. he did sit on my face. So the point is, I'm not going to pretend to understand what actually happened, but the thing to remember is that Joe did not actually stop Brexit from happening. He's also the founder of the Good Law Project. This is an organization that crowds fund lawsuits against the government. So I contacted the GLP, the Good Law Project, to try to fact check and and get more information from them. They said they were, they sent me an email back saying they were too busy to answer my questions. I found that sort of strange. They also like, and then I wrote back and I was like, okay, I just have like one question, no response. If I get anything wrong, and I probably will, let's just blame them. Regardless, there are multiple websites that are tracking Joe's legal battles and the Good Law Project's legal battles. And one of them, Labor Pains, catalogs his cases from 2017 to to mid-2022. And in that time, they say he raised almost 10 million pounds and he used that money to to fund 44 legal fights. Of those 44, he won eight for a success rate of 18%. And no, you cannot get your money back if he loses. The Good Law Project's self-reported track record is very different. They claim to have won 44% of their cases. I asked a British lawyer named Barbara Rich about this. She's been very critical of Mongom, and she points out that their self-reports don't specify when their what they call wins were only partial, so they fell short of the group's actual aims. <laughs> she also pointed out... That their self report contains no records of expenditure on a case by case basis, so it doesn't show when the Good Law Project was quote unsuccessful in order to pay the go- the government's or some other opponent's cost.
0: What kind of what kind of cases is he raising money for?
1: Great question. Here's what another Brit who knows Joe IRL told me. Because all his followers are constantly telling him he's right about everything, Jolien genuinely believes he is some sort of messiah, which in turn has motivated him to pursue vexatious legal cases on whatever political front that comes across his Twitter feed on any given day. The problem is that Jolien's Twitter world and the real world have become separated, hence he almost always loses every single court case he actually pursues. Damn! (laughs) So... He decided at one point he was going to start his own political party. He called this Spring. It was for the Radical Center. Seems like a misnomer.
0: It's like centrism, but Mm -hmm. radical.
1: He released a three-part plan to make this happen. This is a quote from his plan. Step one, Julian announces to the Maidenhead Advertiser, so that's a newspaper, that he's standing. It filters out to the national press. The website goes up with a short biography. He says biog, but biography. A teaser, a register button, and a donate button. Step two. We announced the festival in some acts. Step three, we begin to release policies. So first the festival, then the policies. Unfortunately, this did not work out. Uh, Maybe Adele was booked that weekend. And not long after, he wrote this on his website. Quote, I'm very lucky. I have some great friends in the music and creative industries. Serious people. It's a wonderful idea, they said, but completely impossible to execute this in the available time. I have at last, with great reluctance, accepted they were right, and I will not be standing. It was impossible to stage the festival in the available timescale, and without it, there was no reason to stand. So I'm not quite sure why he thinks that you need to have a festival. A
0: festival? Right.
1: Before you announce your political platform. Maybe it's British law, like the middle names.
0: This whole thing's very confusing.
1: It is. Uh, So the party didn't work out, but luckily there was a global pandemic for Joe to stick his nose in. And at the beginning of the pandemic, he apparently decided that what the country really needed was a tax lawyer figuring things out. So he launched a series of crowdfunded legal actions against the government, most of which were unsuccessful over things like contracts for PPE, where he suspected that favorites were being played by the government. So this made lawyers apparently very annoyed because the courts kept finding that the good law project didn't have standing to intervene. So basically he was just glomming on to existing actions, so mounting cases with no hope of success. And one of the more notable cases was in 2020, he launched a big legal action opposing how the government appointed a woman named Kate Biggum to run the UK's vaccine tax force. So her job was to procure vaccines that were still in development. She was not paid for this, by the way. She was married to a conservative MP. So Joe accused her of benefiting from cronyism, like basically being a nepo wife. And he and the GLP, the Good Law Project, challenged her appointment as part of an, another legal case. And then Barbara Rich told me, so she's the lawyer the barrister. In fact, she was highly competent and well-qualified for her role with a degree in biochemistry and a long career in venture capital in the life sciences industry in which she was a highly regarded figure. The GLP withdrew the challenge to the propriety of her appointment before the case freeze trial. So more recently, he was one of 100 attorneys who declared that they would be refusing to prosecute climate change activists like those from Extinction Rebellion, you know, the group who throws soup at paintings and like they stop traffic to combat climate change. He wrote a column for The Guardian about this. Here's a quote from that. We should not be forced to work for the law's wrongful ends by helping deliver new fossil fuel projects. We should not be forced to prosecute our brave friends whose conduct, protesting against the destruction of the planet the law wrongfully criminalizes. Here's the thing, Jesse. Joe is not a prosecutor. He's a tax lawyer. <laughs> he won't be forced to prosecute anyone, including the NB's who douse the van Gogh in tomato soup. And now that I think about it, they really should have done a Warhol.
0: But I I, don't, I also just don't understand the reasoning the, it's wrong that the law says it's a crime to throw tomato soup on art. He wants to de- It's a good de- cause. It's tomato, for a good cause. Okay, so anything we do This guy sounds like a very careful and rigorous legal mind. If someone does something illegal, but it's for a cause I like, that shouldn't be illegal.
1: Basically, yes. And I have to admit here that I've sort of been bearing the lead because Joe's most infamous moment came in 2019 when he posted this tweet on the morning of Boxing Day. Already this morning, I have killed a fox with a baseball bat. How's your Boxing Day going? Already
0: this morning... I have killed a fox with a baseball. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, so explain.
1: Okay. So people naturally, they had questions. And so Joe further explained that a fox had gotten caught in some chicken netting. He was raising chickens. And so clubbing it to death was really a mercy kill. And by the way, he was also wearing his wife's green silk kimono, which means he did a cultural appropriation and an animal abuse at the same Damn. time. Damn. So this immediately goes viral. I hope it
0: was a white fox, at least.
1: I hope so, yes. So this immediately goes viral. It is a holiday, after all. And not just any holiday. It's Boxing Day, which used to be a big day for fox hunting until fox hunting was banned. People in the UK, they do not like fox hunting. They don't like it. No. They like their foxes. And so people were you know saying that poor beleaguered tax attorney, attorney, he should face charges for this act of murder. They, they take animal cruelty very seriously in the UK. And Joe naturally gets defensive at this mountain of criticism coming for him. So at one point he tweeted, no one should relish killing animals. And I certainly didn't. But you haven't. But if you haven't been up close to a large trapped fox, perhaps reserve judgment. Jesse, what would you do in this situation? Fo- a fox has caught itself in the netting used to protect the pigeons outside your apartment.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what I would, do you do? I would reason with the fox and, and you know, over <laughs> the course of several hours or days come to a peaceful de-escalation.
1: Uh, no joke, hold for you?
0: Jesus. <laughs> oh, too soon, what would you do?
1: We have to go on a little detour for a second because Jesse, do you remember an episode not that long ago where we discussed Brianna Media, the van life influencer who ran over her dog and then called 911? Yes, so apparently, and
0: then said that, something, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, so apparently, we were, i don't remember this, but apparently, we we're sort of making fun of her for calling 911 when she hit her dog. I have to admit something over the past week, I have called 911. Not once, not twice, but three times over some ponies that have been left out in the rain by one of my neighbors.
0: You called 911 about ponies? You, you're a snitch? Yes,
1: because <laughs> Yes, because when you call the Humane Society in my town, there's a message that says, call 911. Even if it's not an emergency, so I have now called nine one one three times. These people have these fucking really really cute miniature ponies up the street from me. And they don't have any shelter for it, so I feel confident in saying that if there was an animal abuse situation happening towards me, if a fox were co- caught in a chicken net, I would just do the right thing and call nine one one. Yeah, but Joe didn't do that. He instead decided to bash it on the head with a bat. So the the RSPCA—that's the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. They looked into this and they decided not to pursue charge against Jolion, but the saga didn't end there. It's like that old joke about fucking a sheep, but it's killing a fox. You know, you kill one fox. You know the joke?
0: No. What? (laughs) Fucking a sheep?
1: What? (laughs) Yeah. You kill, you you fuck one sheep. That's the (laughs) punchline. Okay. It's like that, but it's you kill one fox. So this was covered all over the media. Here is Joe speaking about the killing and in in its aftermath on the Today programme.
2: The time is 16 minutes to eight. The RSPCA has decided not to press charges against the prominent lawyer Jolian Maugham, who announced on Twitter on Boxing Day morning that he had killed a fox with a baseball bat. It had got caught in netting around the chickens on his property in London. For his first broadcast interview since that decision, he's here in the studio Um. QC, director of the Good Law Project, as well. Good morning. Good morning. The key point for the RSPCA was that was whether to establish whether there had been unnecessary suffering, and it concluded in the end that the fox was killed swiftly. It was still beaten to death by you that morning.
3: Um, I'm a little uncomfortable with that question because um, this was very much not uh, the interview I agreed to give, uh, and I'm not. Really sure why you're putting that question to me, but as you have, let me ask answer it. Uh, the government guidance is very clear; it says that if a fox is caught on your property, uh, if it's ensnared on your property, you must and it uses that word must you must kill it humanely. What the RSPCA concluded was that um, I killed that fox swiftly. Had I not followed the government guidance, I would no doubt be amenable of exactly the criticism that the RSPCA put to me at the time. Uh, and, is, uh, and you are putting to me again now.
2: The reason that I asked that question was precisely to establish that because this is the first time that you've spoken since the RSPCA came to that decision. And I thought it was important to establish for the record and and put out the reasons that they came to that decision was that they looked at the fox and they decided it had been killed swiftly and and that was why there is no further case against you so that was for the record now in terms of what happened to you after that clearly there was a very significant reaction because you you made the statement on on twitter and a lot of people got very angry um, about what you had said what was it like to be at the sharp end of that
3: well it's pretty all-consuming even as you know that the impacts on your real life are modest uh, so the Good Law Project's funding since mid-December, in fact, is up. Um, uh, none of my clients have deserted me. Uh, uh, the, the the real life impact is very modest indeed. Um, if you're at the centre of um, a pile on that moves from social media into real-world media and extends for seven or eight days, it's enormously painful. Um, it's all-consuming. You feel as though your life is at an end. And um, I read... Um, with um, some sorrow, as many of us did, uh, uh, what was uh, written about Caroline Flack. Um, uh, Without um, a a very loving marriage, uh, without a very close relationship with my children, um, without the support network I have, I'm not sure that I would be here uh, to tell uh, the story to give this interview today.
0: Katie, my I clubbed That Fox to Death Humanely shirt now, as people ask you a lot of questions already answered by that shirt.
1: Exactly. So Carolyn Flack, who he mentions there, she was a British celebrity who killed herself uh, not long after being arrested for assault. This was widely covered in the tabloids. Did this make you feel any more sympathy for the Fox Clubber?
0: Not, I, the whole thing's so weird. What did he think they were going to ask him about? Just like him getting like all uppity that I know they would ask about the reason he became... I, I was very confused by that. He seems like a strange man.
1: Yeah, I'm like what I'm about to do is absolutely victim blaming me here except I guess the real victim is the fox, but he brought them on himself brought this whole thing on himself by tweeting about the fox. Already this morning, I have killed a fox with a baseball bat. How's your boxing day going? Like, the tone there is almost... Why, why are people talking about this fox? Right. Why won't they let it go? It's, yeah. it's almost like he's bragging. Like, it's not self-effacing. He doesn't explain that the fox was suffering. And it's also completely unnecessary. But some people have to narrate absolute everything because they need the sugar high of posting. And this time, it came back to bite him in the ass. Like a
0: fox might bite you in the ass. Like a fox,
1: yeah. It, like, if the animal was suffering and there was no way to free it, then he probably did the right thing. But he could have, again, called 911 or whatever their equivalent is, called the RSPCA. And he just, like, he just, he didn't need to tweet about it. You don't have to tweet everything. You just, you don't have to. Okay, so he's when he's not suing the government or killing wild animals, he is very active on trans versus turf Twitter. He's an outspoken trans ally. And he's constantly getting in fights about trans issues on Twitter and he also uses the Good Law Project to further his cause. So, for instance, the Good Law Project helped crowdfund the appeal in the Kirabel v. Tavistock case. Jesse, could you give a little background on that?
0: Yeah, basically, Kirabel is a 20-something detransitioner who sued the Tavistock clinic over there uh, saying she was rushed onto hormones and a double mastectomy. And um, initially, the high court ruled that Basically, kids below a certain age were very unlikely to be able to give consent to these procedures, but that was um, overturned on appeal.
1: Yeah, so the high court's ruling in the Tavistock case was initially – like it basically banned kids from getting puberty blockers under 16 without a court's permission. But yes, as you mentioned, it was later reversed on appeal. And the Good Law Project and, and Julian, they backed the opposition to, to Carabell. And then there was another case. It hasn't gotten as much attention, but this one was about parental consent. And the Good Law Project crowdfunded that case as well. This is as part of its trans defense fund. And so Joe and the Good Law Project have also targeted the LGB Alliance, which is a a UK-based activist group that's founded by a couple of elder lesbians. They describe themselves as, quote, asserting the rights of lesbians, bisexuals, and gay men to define themselves as same-sex attracted. So they oppose things like puberty blockers and self-ID. They think women should be entitled to sex-segregated spaces. They don't think it's transphobic for lesbians not to like dick. And all of this is considered by many trans activists and allies like Jolion to be transphobic. And so Joe and Mermaids has made it their mission to get their charity status revoked. Can you explain Mermaids?
0: Yeah, Mermaids is like a trans advocacy group that focuses on trans kids in the UK. And um, the investigations into Tavistock found that when I interviewed Hannah, Bar- Hannah Barnes, author of Time to Think, which is like the story of how the Tavistock Clinic collapsed, she was very careful and measured. But I think everyone agrees the activist influence from Mermaid made it hard for these clinicians to do a good job. And and Mermaid is, Mermaid is just a group that's extremely enthusiastic about youth medical transition.
1: Yeah. So the GLP is crowdfunding – mermaids' attempts to get the LGB Alliance's charity status revoked. They've raised over 80,000 pounds to make this happen. And the LGB Alliance had to go through a hearing with the charity regulator. And so they're currently awaiting the results of that. And uh, Joe has also used his own platform to accuse the LGB Alliance of an array of misdeeds. He said, for instance, that the group compares being trans to bestiality and that it's funded by what he calls dark money.
0: The LGB Alliance compared... Being trans to bestiality?
1: No, of course not. What happened is that their official Twitter account, they quote tweeted someone else who was responding to a queer theory paper arguing that the Z should be added to the LGBTQ alphabet and the Z stands for zoophilia.
0: But it's like a guilt by association. It's like not just they. It's not honest. You're saying
1: nobody was saying that trans people are like go fuckers. Okay. Nobody was saying that.
0: And what about the dark money accusation?
1: Okay, I'm gonna let Joe explain this in his own words. This is him in an interview with the trans activist Katie Montgomery. She asks him about the LGBT alliance.
3: Um, they have. They seem to have enormous amounts of money. We know that vast amounts of money are coming into the UK from the Christian right, we don't know where that money is going, but it must be going somewhere. And if it isn't going in part to many of these crowdfunders and many of these um, organisations that seem to spring up out of nowhere with very professional um, offers, I'd be pretty amazed. I had this discussion actually with the LGBA founder and she said, well, no, all of our money comes from members of the public. And I said, well, how do you know because you don't know um, who is giving you money, even if money comes into your crowdfunder, people have the option of telling you um, who they are. Um, it's the self-ID,
2: project. isn't
3: it? It's self-ID. <laughs> that's right. Um, and so you just have no way of knowing, in truth, um, whether the money is being fed in in drips and drabs from some huge. Uh, uh, Christian right organization in the States or from somebody who's genuinely concerned in the, in the UK.
1: Okay. Jesse, you're watching this on YouTube. Please describe what is on the screen below Katie Montgomery and Julian Magum.
0: Uh, there's a little like fundraising thing. It says 182,000 pounds pledged of the 250,000 pound stretch goal from more than 5,000 people.
1: Okay. So while he is criticizing the LGB Alliance, He's saying that this is dark that anybody can donate it to it. This is dark money. They don't know where the money's coming from. At the same time, he's holding a fundraiser where random people donate. Well,
0: come on, Katie, they're clearly doing a lot of investigation. We know, for example, that um Amy pledged uh, fifty pounds. We know it was Amy. Amy's Amy's good people.
1: So I asked the LGB Alliance where their funding comes from. And they said, our accounts are available to view online on the Charity Commission website. It's a requirement for a registered charity in the UK, so feel free to take a look. In brief, though, the bulk of our money comes from small donations of £10 or £20 at a time from supporters. Although last year we received £9,000 from the National Lottery Community Fund to scope and plan a helpline for young LGB people. Our founders, trustees, and most of the management team are volunteers, so our costs are minimal. We currently have two full time employees and a contractor. I also asked what impact Joe's advocacy had had, and uh, the woman who responded, um, she's one of the founders, her name name is Katie Barker, she said, whilst his comments over the last couple of years have created some difficulties for us, ultimately his pursuit of us has been a positive. Forcing us into court to defend our charitable status has brought issues into the public arena, and having heard the evidence, many more people have realized that we're mainstream, sensible, and advocating positively for LGB people. His own reputation, however, seems not to be faring so well. Who'd have thought that a straight man and a straight woman – that's Susie Green. She's the former CEO of Mermaids. Getting together to close down the UK's only charity for same-sex attracted people would look, well, bad.
0: Okay, so LGB Alliance is lesbian, gay, bisexual. They're, they're obviously leaving out the T. They're excluding trans people from their advocacy. Do you think that's transphobic?
1: No. I mean, I guess this is a predictable answer, but I think a more important question is, do I think that lesbian, gays, and bisexuals should be able to organize or encouraged to organize on their own behalf? And I think the answer is yes, because being homosexual or bisexual, that's about sexual orientation. It's about who you're attracted to. It's about who you fuck. It's about sexuality. And there are good reasons that years ago the T was slapped onto the end in terms of organizing and having a larger coalition. But gender identity is something else entirely. And at times, the two are at odds. So I don't think there's anything wrong with this. Okay.
0: They've been cleared of transphobia by Katie Herzog. Do you think there's something wrong with it? The discourse on this has been weird for a while because like, people will be like, no, we're not saying you're not allowed to be same-sex attracted, but it seems like there's a lot of pressure to understand gender in a very specific way. And the only way you're allowed to understand it is someone's gender is what they say they are it is end of story. So i i don't know. I don't know much about this stuff. I can understand why folks would might want to organize along those lines.
1: Right. And the whole reason that this is necessary now is because not just because of these natural tensions, but also there's a school of thought that gay and lesbian people people so people who are exclusively attracted to the same sex are somehow bigots because they like i don't consider a girl dick to be right part of my like i don't define someone with a penis as a lesbian. Okay, so Joe is a great friend to the trans community, or so he thinks, Uh, and he recently wrote a book. This is called Bringing Down Goliath, How Good Law Can Topple the Powerful. I haven't read it. I am not going to read it, but I have read a bunch of reviews of it, and they range from bad to terrible. Here are some of the headlines. The Critic Magazine, Taking the Clown Seriously, The Daily Mail. Is Julian the fox-killing, Brexit-loathing barrister with a penchant for silk kimonos the most ludicrous man in Britain? (laughs) (laughs) the spectator Julian Magum's opening sentence might be the worst of all time and that sentence by the way quote the life I have is hard but I got to choose it and the road that brought me here I did not what? I don't parse it at all no
0: the editor was just like yep let's go with that good opening sentence (laughs) the life I Uh, have (laughs) is hard but I got to choose it and the road that brought me here I did not Mm mm-hmm Jesus.
1: Makes sense. Rough. Okay, yeah. so that sentence, that was also, uh, that was picked out by a review in the Times of London. The title of that review was, Bringing Down the Goliath by Julian Mongum, The pompous bloviating of a Twitter KC. And KC, that means king's council. It used to be queen's council, but now apparently there's a king there. So it's a, it's a, like a honor. The pompous bloviating of a Twitter KC. The Good Law Project founder rose to dubious fame on Twitter. He should have stayed there. <laughs> that's by the reviewer is i'm gonna absolutely butcher this yuan yezu so joe took issue with this review in particular he pointed out that technically that's the first sentence of the first chapter there's an entire introduction so it wasn't the first sentence of the book regardless the review itself is a delicious read here's a quote from it the real crime of this book is not that its author is insufferable." It is not that he displays an ugly streak of meanness against anyone who disagrees with him. It is that it is unbearably boring. Lawyers are supposed to be in love with the sound of their own voices. Mangum is also in love with his own prose. He quotes at length from his blog posts, from his interviews, from his tweets, but none of his mean-spirited but entertaining online cut and thrust, the very thing that made his reputation, has survived the transition to book form. (laughs) He also wrote that Joe is, quote, a first-time author who should not be encouraged to re-offend ever again and called the book (laughs) a stinker. Yes. Damn. So that review in particular seemed to uh, twist Joe's knickers. He responded to it on Twitter. He said, quite the review from the Brexit-supporting, pro-climate change, racist, transphobic, anti-abortion, supine to power times. Heady stuff. Yeah. So all of this brings us to his recent spat with Joe Rowling, fellow Joe. She responded to his complaints about this Times review. She said, I'm sometimes asked how to handle bad reviews and usually answer along the lines of, we've all had them. And it's never fun. Sometimes you can learn from them. I find it helps to remember even Moby Dick got some stinkers. In the future, I'll just say never go fool Julian. <laughs> Joe did not like Joe's tweet, and he responded, you should read it, Joe. We both know the review it has got nothing to do with the quality of the book and everything to do with what the Times is and where it stands in relation to my politics, which is exactly the point my tweet makes. He continues, We both know I have written many GC, that's gender-critical feminists, seeking a private discussion of trans issues and to de-escalate the debate. I'm sorry my approaches have been rebuffed. The book seeks in earnest to advance that same agenda because the status quo only serves the patriarchy. He looks like if you took Al Franken and you made him the head of, like, a, a crime family. Like, he's, he looks like he's the head of a fucking patriarchy. So, Joe responds to this. She says, how on earth would I know who you write to? Or do you imagine your missives are handed around like holy relics by the awestruck and intimidated woman folk? If you want to cozy up to feminists, go lose another court case. We like a laugh. <coughs> And then it continued. Uh, He said he wasn't going to fight with her, but that uh, he would post some screenshots of their communications. He then did this. It was just a screenshot of him basically saying, I would like to talk to you in private about this. And then she responded by indeed blocking him. And so all of this made him Turf Island's main character of the day. People really like making fun of this guy and I completely get it because he does seem like a twat, but there comes a point in any pylon when it stops being fun, even if the person at the bottom of it is a fox clubber. <laughs> and at some point during this I like I started to pity the guy and I absolutely hate this. Hate it when this happens. I don't want to feel sympathy for him. I really don't. But is... You
0: know, human is not a good looking you. I
1: know you, not, I know your
0: strengths lie. I keep
1: trying to turn it off and then it just keeps coming back.
0: <laughs> Quite a character. I think that was a good uh Good analysis of
1: him. I got to put more tea bags on my eyes.
0: <laughs> you got to go get teabagged?
1: So tired, y'all.
0: <laughs> Anything else on this, Katie?
1: No. Uh, if you want to laugh, follow Joe Magam on Twitter.
0: Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Bot Reported. As always, we produced with help from uh, Tracing Woodgrains and the Mysterious Lex. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, club one fox to death, shame on you. Club two foxes to death, shame on me.
1: And I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember... If you're ever sitting, riding under an apricot tree in Cyprus, you might want to wear a helmet.